Welcome back, everyone, to the 12th episode of The How of Who We Are. Thanks for joining us up to this point. We are excited to introduce Alec Height, uh, somebody that Will was able to get to know through the College of Benedictine College in an interview that I both uh, I know that we both really enjoyed. Will? Yeah, Alec Height, businessman, mentor, entrepreneur, and more and more, I'm hoping, yeah, more and more someone that I, I'm consider a friend as, as time goes on and I stay in touch with him. Um, and he's somebody who, you know, once you get him started talking and, and you can just tell that he's got a wealth of knowledge and he's been through, he takes his life seriously and he's been through a lot in life to help him, uh, you know, give advice to people and to just be someone who's always got motivation, always got something to say. Um, and I just really admire that in him. And uh, so folks who are just tuning into the how of who we are, or for those who have been around for a minute, this is, our, this is our mission statement. This is what we're trying to do here at the how of who we are. We believe that ordinary people are continuously doing extraordinary things. This podcast seeks out those ordinary people to develop an understanding of the how of who they are and to discover what makes them truly extraordinary. These conversations take place with people who may never be world famous, but who we believe the world deserves to know more about. And Alec Height fit this perfectly, Keaton. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and the more and more we talk about that mission statement, the more I think we have people come on that it's like, wow, he actually could end up being world famous at some point. And I think we've had a few people on, including this interview, where um, that rings true. But please give us a rate on. Apple Podcasts, if that's where you're listening to us, follow our social media. It's at how of who we are. There's no the. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. We're getting other platforms developed, but there's some other stuff that we're trying to take care of too. Um, also, make sure you please give us some more interview options, whether that is yourself or somebody that you believe we should be interviewing. Uh, just let us know what is, what the, who is uh, extraordinary in your lives and who. Uh, we should be able to get to know the how of who they are. Yeah, and I would add too, you know, we already had it once on this show and would love to do it again. Someone mentioned that they've always wanted to be on a podcast and this, is, this was their chance. So if you feel like you have a story to share, this is the show for you. Without a doubt. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the newest episode of the How of Who We Are. Today, Will and I are interviewing Alec Height, um, somebody that Will has been able to know as a mentor and somebody that I've really enjoyed the conversations with up to this point. Alec, how are you doing today? I'm not bad, guys. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm living life and loving it. How are you guys? I'm fantastic. Will just had to do a full computer revamp, so he's good to go. Hoping, hoping he's doing well himself. Yeah, IT department came in clutch. <laughs> got me back on track. <laughs> love it. Love it. So I've got a, a really important question for you, Alec, and something that my brother and I disagree a lot on, and I need to know your answer. When you watch a TV show, do you have subtitles on or off? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Literally two nights ago, my wife and I watched Hamilton, and uh, we had this argument. Um, so I am a firm believer in subtitles off. Uh, now, now let me, let me add to this, that when subtitles are on, I secretly love it. But 
just like you and me talking right now, and just like when we're out in real life, if you want to experience life, you don't have subtitles with it. So if I want to get fully into a movie, why am I going to put the subtitles on and take away the raw experience of the movie? So I do notice like when they're on, I read them and I end up not watching the movie at all. I'm just reading the whole time. And hey, if I want to read a book, I'd buy the book. But uh, that's my viewpoint on it. I would love to argue with those points because I am a firm subtitle on guy. But those are really good points that, you know, <laughs> if you go have a conversation with somebody at the grocery store, there's not just convenient subtitles for you. Yeah. I'd, I'd make a quick counter back on I'm 100 years old and I can't hear what they're saying when Thanos is yelling at the Avengers. I'm like, what do you say? I'm like, boom, there we go. I can I can see it and it's good to go already. Yeah, except you're not 100 years old. And at that point, you're arguing the exception of a 100 year old. So, I mean, now we're getting into philosophy. But uh, something like on this point that I wish we did have subtitles in real life. Now with everyone wearing masks, I can't read lips and I have no idea what people are saying. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize how much I read lips until this whole virus thing. I appreciate that pro subtitle argument. And I will be using that moving forward, just so you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, I want to, I want to get into some of the, the actual meat and potatoes of the, the interview. Um, we do this, we have this traditional question that we ask to everybody that we have on, something that I know we both really enjoy talking about. Um, and I want, to, I want to go ahead and ask you, what are four symbols that you would, you would put in your logo, the logo of Alakite? Yeah, that is, uh, that's an amazing question. I, I've honestly never really thought of anything like this um but it's just interesting when you go down this route kind of what it what it comes to and uh um my the, my four symbols that i would use you know one and maybe my most basic symbol uh would be basically like a forward pointing right arrow uh something like that uh and and you know it would be there to notate progress um so my entire life, that's kind of like been a big theme of mine is uh, I always feel like I've been, you know, fighting some area where I really need to make progress and I need to get better. Um, and so I'm, I'm a firm believer that growth equals happiness. And so with anything that you do in life, um, if you're not finding some way to grow, um, it, you're, you're stagnant, you're going backwards. And uh, I mean, maybe I attribute that a lot to athletics growing up, but uh, I definitely noticed it in my day-to-day -day life now. Um, so it's interesting, you know, knowing that you can kind of hack your life to, um, it's like uh, you hear of achievers wanting to basically, you know, check the box next to items getting done. And, and that's a big deal that, that little uh, endorphin release, you know, when you feel like you're making progress on something. So I'd have a, I'd have a, a right facing arrow. I'd also have the head of a golden retriever, um, pr preferably with the tongue out. Um, but, and that just really symbols, uh, like I'm, I'm a firm believer that in every present moment of life, like there's something that's going to make your eyes sparkle. And so if you were to ask me like, what's, what's one thing that you would never want to lose about yourself, it would be that, um, that like childlike joy that I have inside for whatever's going on. Um, and so believe it or not, my freshman year of college, uh, there was a, a group that we had a group of guys and girls that hung out with. And the girls went and basically identified the animal that they thought uh, personified each one of us. And so they chose a golden retriever for me for that reason, because they kind of felt like anytime they saw me, I was just kind of that just dumb, happy tongue out. Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, so it'd be the head of a golden retriever. Um, 
the next, the, the third icon that I would do is probably, it, it'd be something, and, and maybe this wouldn't be exactly it, uh, but it'd be something like a mountaintop. Um, you know, I'm not from anywhere with mountains, but um, whenever I think about basically the, the strongest emotions that I feel in life, the strongest emotion that I experience in my day to day that can shock me into feeling like myself is the feeling of inspiration. And, uh, and I think that's because my, my fear of God is rooted in that feeling of kind of this awe and inspiring type feeling. And uh, I compare it to just standing on top of a mountain, looking over the landscape and, and basically seeing that this vast land that, I mean, there's no way anybody could have created anything more perfect. And so, um, that that feeling that I get inside um, is also something I experience in my day to day when analyzing, you know, business leaders and what they're doing. Um, when I look at the future and look at plans for for where my life needs to go, I start getting inspired in my gut. I mean, I just feel the butterflies, and it's it, yeah, the stuff that comes from that is amazing. Um, the uh, the other reason that I pick that is because while back at one point in my life, somebody asked me, um, if you were on your deathbed, basically, and all of your dreams that you never accomplished were standing around you, what would your biggest regret be like to have a, a certain dream standing by you? Like, what do you want to die and basically not regret having not done? Um, and for me, uh, when I answered that, uh, first, I said influence, because I want to find a way to give back somehow. Um, but more specifically, and in, and in an influence based on inspiration um, to where, you know, if growth is one key to life, I think giving back is another key to life and doing that in a way that's much more than just uh, um, yeah, something that's like a very plain and simple stoic type type influence, but something that really inspires people to feel those same butterflies in their gut. Um, so for that reason, I'd say something like a mountaintop. And then uh, my fourth symbol uh, would be a wedding band, um, which of course symbolizes my vocation and family. Uh, but most notably, I would um, fill it, I, I would have the symbol basically look like a wedding band that's filled on the inside with the, the inner circle filled. And that's to symbolize like my biggest weakness in life um, is uh, I have, I, I don't have a concept of like what enough is um, like for me, I'm always I'm always looking for something more, fighting for something more, and and I consider that a weakness because it it makes it very hard to you know uh, achieve the feeling of being content in the present moment. And so for me, the things that bring me in that most that that most present moment and feeling the most content is when I'm reflecting on my family and those closest around me. And uh, so that that would kind of be the twofold deal of the wedding ring. It would one symbolize uh, my vocation and ultimately my family that keeps me grounded, but also serve as a reminder of, of something that I struggle with in life. And that's, you know, knowing that the job's been, it's a, it's a job well done and, uh, and we can celebrate it and, uh, and celebrating those victories and feeling fulfilled. Um, so that, those are kind of, those are ground out my four icons. I love it. Um, something that I really find interesting is that the fourth, the wedding band is, is kind of a more physical thing, but the, but it has abstract properties to it. And the first three are very abstract. You know, it's not like, Oh, I like, um like we had a previous interviewee say he liked his hat his hat was one of the symbols now he had a really good explanation for why 
but I really like that all of yours are abstract and that it builds off of what they symbolize to you more than what they are like with within you. And I, I really like hearing that because it, it shows a deeper self-reflection. And one of the most important things I think that we all need to try to, to do in our lives is to understand ourselves and to be able to self-reflect properly. And that's, that's very interesting. Cause then like you start thinking about, you know, brands that are out there and their logos. And I mean, a logo means something different to everybody. I mean, like the golden arches mean French fries to some people and they mean grease and, and heartburn to others. Um, and uh, so no, you're exactly right. It'd be interesting. Someone could have the exact same symbol as me and it would mean something entirely different. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest point that comes down to, you know, at a baseline level is perspective. It all comes down to perspective of what people <clears throat> see these symbols as and these logos as. And you don't fully know somebody's perspective without either asking them or be, you know, being around them enough where you can, where you can try to understand exactly what that is. Will, do you have any comments towards the, towards the symbols? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think I was, I'm really, I was really, in, like engaged in that explanation because that like Keaton was saying that's a different setup of the symbols than we've seen just some of the concepts behind all the symbols um, but the one the one that stood out to me was that forward or that right pointing arrow and I think that concept of growth is happiness and progress makes you happy is something that I think fits really well into what we're, what we're trying to talk about on this podcast about how as we develop as individuals, as we become more of who we are, who we are meant to be like that really can only result in happiness. Oftentimes, like it's just, it's hard to picture you, you know, going through experiences, trying different things, growing and not becoming a happier, more fulfilled version of yourself. So I kind of to kick off, I know we were going to try to talk about job preparedness, different nicks and knacks, life hacks and things towards becoming a, a business professional. But if you could touch on a little bit about how that progress, that growth in progress, how that got started in you and how that, how you really have seen that play out in, in as you, you know, went from college to become somebody in the workforce. Gosh, <sighs> well, this can, this can get deep right out of the gate. Uh, <laughs> as we do, as That's we what we're do. here for. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the, the very first story that comes to mind when you say that, uh, um, I mentioned athletics earlier, but it was, uh, it, it's a story of basically back when I played t-ball. So I don't know how old I was. I was, I was very, very young. It's, it's one of my earliest memories. Um, but basically, uh, my dad was my t-ball coach and, and he was, uh, he's a very intense person. And that, that applies to sports as well. And I'll never forget um, one of my first t-ball games. I basically, you know, I'd gotten a single or a double or something. I'm on base and I make my way to third base. And what happens from there, the, the next kid up to bat, he gets a hit and his hit goes into right field. And the kid in right field was, he was seriously picking dandelions. So the ball went past him. So I was going to make it to home plate, like no questions asked, very, very, um, very easily and so you know on contact I started running I started sprinting off at third base and once I got about halfway to home I looked and, and I saw that basically I was home free and uh, when I did that I slowed up to a jog and then before I crossed the plate um, I ended up walking across the plate and I mean I, I made it safe no problem um, 
and right from there, basically, my dad benched me the rest of the game and uh, um, had some serious words with me. And he was very upset. And I was like, what are you talking about? And even the other, other parents in the crowd were like, what, uh, why, why are you doing that? Why, why did you bench him? Why, why are you not happy with him? And he just told me, he said, you never slow up. You never stop running through home plate, no matter what. Um, and so that kind of resonated with me early on to where anytime that I would go out and do something, um, it was this whole idea of, I don't care if it's an assured thing. Like, I don't care if it only takes a 90% or, or a, a C average to pass a class. Um, if there's an opportunity to get a hundred, uh, you better be doing that. Um, so with that kind of like rooted in, uh, um, that rooted in me of, you know, always having to run as hard as you can through everything that you do. It then was very natural to where as I go into school and I start seeing all these bars set for these goals, whatever the goals may be. Um, if you just try as hard as you can all the time, I mean, naturally you're going to get very close to hitting, you know, whatever that bar is. And, uh, and if you don't hit it, um, I'll never forget, you know, if I'd bring home a 98 or a 99 on a test, my dad would kind of say, you left a couple points out there, son. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and in that, you know, he was, he was, he had good humor in that, but, uh, but that was really kind of where I started seeing, um, whatever you look at in life, whether it's a rocket ship or whether it's a table, um, all of these amazing things that are out there that are man-made they were all understood by man right out of the gate. Like, like man built those things because he understood God's laws. And so whenever I go and I'm looking at something to do, I don't see an impossible feat. I basically see something that's achievable and in some way to break it down to smaller steps to achieve that thing. And, uh, whenever you view life in that way to where anything that's out there that you can achieve it, it's very natural then to, seek progress and everything else because then you start looking at yourself as an individual and uh and you you start hating regression because um you know if you're obsessed with this this certain ideal of the way that you need to be somehow you're going to naturally start looking for ways to do something better to hit that bar that you've set for yourself um so uh i guess to answer that question of what is that that feeling of progress and growth what is it rooted in i would basically say that it was rooted in two things as a child. And one was, um, the fact that you never give up and that you believe that you can win at anything you do. Um, and then the second thing would, would basically be that the, the dreaming aspect of it to where when you sit back and you kind of dream about these big things in life. And then if you actually firmly believe that you can, you can create that, um, your progress is just going to be something that is like that, that icing on the cake for you to where you naturally have to feel that way. Um, because it's it's the the lens of life that you look through. Um, so uh, I hope that answered the question somewhat. Oh, it totally yeah. did. I, I got lucky enough through my growing up experience. I don't know. That's not the right phrasing. But I had my dad as my coach. And I think that can have a lot of pros. It can have a lot of cons. But I think that lesson for you, I mean, that sets you on a, on a very nice path. And having my dad as my coach, I know that. that it helped benefit me a lot through sports clearly, but then through a lot of my daily life of being able to listen and being willing to grow and not just thinking that you knew what was going on. And that's a perfect example of kind of the same thing where it's like, I know, you know, you're going to be safe at home, but don't, 
don't care. Give it all you got. Even though you, you know, you can walk over the plate, like, you know, you can pass with C's. Like, why not get that, that A in the class? Um, no, and I, I don't know if this is fully applicable, but you, do you think that that sort of lesson is something that was, what could be applied to like social settings where rather than kind of acting into peer pressure, you did the thing that you thought was, was the right thing to do? Yeah, I think, I think it can, if you're a person that has emotional composure, or not emotional composure, yes, but um, emotional intelligence. So um, I don't think that it's naturally that it bleeds over to social settings, but I think that if you do things that basically um, develop an emotional intelligence and you're very keyed in to how other people feel in the room, naturally you're going to start wanting them to feel as good as they can and you're going to want to do the right thing socially. And uh, so I would say, you know, for that to bleed over, you would need that emotional intelligence and, and this binding by, you know, the social contracts of, of acting on, on a law that's better than anything that man's created. Um, and something that also applies to this, I, I wasn't even thinking of this until uh, what you just said about kind of like doing the right thing. Um, I saw a post and I think it was on Facebook or Instagram is pretty interesting how they said the ultimate test of like that inner voice inside you, if you're going to do the right thing or not, is the shopping cart. And, uh, and it said, yeah, it said, it said, look, when you push that shopping cart out to, into your groceries, to your car, you're either going to leave that cart where it's at by your car, or you're going to walk out of your way and go and put it back where it needs to go. And it's like, that's the one area where you have a decision to make where like, no one's going to tell you you were wrong. You can easily get away with it. Um, if you do go and put it back, you are going to make someone's life easier, but I mean, those stores pay someone to go and fetch the cars and bring them back. So do you really need to do it? And uh, so this little photo said, basically, you know, if you want to test how good man is, you just need to see if that individual puts away shopping carts or not. And <laughs> that's kind of funny. That is funny. Something that I've said to people in my life is just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And that, that applies to your shopping cart analogy right there. Like just because you can leave it at your car doesn't mean you should. You know, what you should do is try to make somebody else's life easier because life is hard enough. So why do you need to make it more difficult for, for people around you? Yeah. Will, yeah. you look like yeah. you're itching down there? I do. I do. Yeah, I was going to say. So I just, it occurred to me, Alec, well, I would uh, actually probably for the listeners, if you could give them a little bit of because we know who you are, if you could give them a little background about what you're doing right now um, in your professional life. And I know you got multiple businesses running right now. Um, if you could give them a little bit of a background on your current work situation, and then maybe we can dive into how you got there, the life hacks you harnessed to help you get to where you are in this progression that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, this is, I'm really bad at podcasts because a lot of times I'll take the first question and I'll just start running through it and I'm 20 minutes in and I haven't said a single thing about who I am. Um, but so I'm glad you stopped me. We here. got here. We got here. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, but it, it's so, all about knowing yourself. That's, that's pretty much what I'm learning <laughs> from everything that's been said so far. And I think that's important as a, as an overarching lesson already. Just know yourself. Yeah. I love that. Um, so me, as I, as I am today, uh, I have uh, my primary company is uh, uh, Pioneer Music Company is the name of it. I run a wholesale distribution company of high-end electronics. Um, so 
So that is a, a company we have just above 35 employees, I believe, and uh, we're based in, regionally in the U.S. to cover the states of Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska. So um, that company has kind of taken me to the, the second company that I own and run, and that's called Electronic Marketing Associates. And so what that company is, is a contracted uh, manufacturer sales firm. So where Pioneer is a distributor that buys boxes and sells boxes, Electronic Marketing Associates is a contracted sales firm where basically manufacturers pay our salesmen a commission to go and sell their products. So we don't actually move the boxes. We just uh, make revenue and get a commission. Um, so they're, they're very related companies. In some ways, they're partners. In some ways, they're competitors, but uh, both kind of similar industry, similar technology. Um, and then, you know, with, with those, kind of what I've been involved in uh, is a mentoring group in Kansas City. It's called HEMP, H-E-M-P, and I get a lot of weird looks. Uh, on my LinkedIn, I get a lot of people from the marijuana industry reaching out, but um, <laughs> it stands for the Hellsberg Entrepreneurial Mentoring Program. And so Barnett Hellsberg back in the late 90s. Um, he said, he looked at the Kansas City business landscape and he said, gosh, there's a lot of stuff to help startups and there's a lot of stuff to help, um, you know, like fortune 500 type companies, but there's nothing to help that company in between. You know, they've made it the first three years and, uh, in their past the startup phase, but they're not a big company. Um, so he formed this mentoring program in Kansas city and, uh, um, I, I am now in my third year of that. So this is my graduation year where for the last three years. Um, I've been not only assigned a mentor that I meet with uh, twice a month, but uh, also I've been involved in medium-sized business meetings and communities throughout Kansas City uh, to where I've been exposed to a lot of the business landscape um, in this city. Uh, and then um, the last thing, I guess, on a, on a business standpoint is um, I now have two residential rental properties. Um, so one's a three-bedroom house that I'm, I'm renting out to a few a few guys. And then um, another is a, a condominium downtown that I'm renting out uh, to somebody. So, um, you know, that is all that that's kind of my my business landscape right there. I think everything I got going on. Now, Alec, to give a little more context, how old are you with all of this on your plate? Yeah, I am. I'm 27. And I think my my mid year birthday is coming up. So I'll be 28 at the end of December this year, but I'm 27 right now. That's a that's a lot going on. Being a little on the younger side, I just want to put out for me and probably from a lot of our listeners, and I'll include Will in there too, is that you know that garners a tremendous amount of respect because that's a lot on your plate for what I would call a young man on top of taking care of your family, uh, you know, in in combination with everything else you have going on. Now, Will, I, I understand you have a qu question ready to go. Yeah, and it was actually based on that comment of yeah, objectively that is a lot going on for you at, in your life right now, Alec. But I feel like, you know, the only reason you're doing what you're doing now is because on some level you're prepared for that and you're, you're able to do that all. And so I guess the question would be if all that, you know, the three different companies, the mentoring trip program that happening, what kind of life hacks and what kind of skills, what kind of, what path did you take to develop the kind of, person you are to where you can carry on what you're doing today all right i will uh man i'll try and i'll try and refine these down I'm, th there's a lot of different places you can go with this um i think uh 
I think number one, the thing that has probably expedited and changed my life the fastest. Um, and I say that because getting out of college, the, the family company that I went into, I was the, the 10th employee. And now in a matter of five years, we're, we're above 35. Um, and so when I just go back and I think about the milestones and the growth and, and, and everything that happened, the one thing that kind of like was the common thread was I, I've always had this sincere interest in other people. Um, and, uh, and I say that to where, you know, you always hear, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And I'm a firm believer in that as well. I, I will preach that. Um, the only thing I will preach more than ask questions is to take action. Uh, because you can ask questions all day, but if you don't act on it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but my thing was, you know, how do you get into the moment of asking questions? And a lot of times, you know, you can, you can tell when you sit down with someone and they're in, it's not a genuine conversation where there's questions and there's genuine listening. You can tell where there's a hidden agenda of sales, um, or some personal advancement in some point. And it's not just a, a general, Oh my gosh, tell me about your life. Um, and you know, when I, when I look back, it's, it's been that basically to where I think my youth was a huge advantage for me because I, I was finding myself sitting down with like titans of, of business and industry, not necessarily in my business, but people that um, like at Benedict and President Menace's course, where he's bringing people in to, to speak to the, the class. Uh, I think he has a class for the listeners to clarify where once a week he'd bring in um, a prominent alum or a prominent business figure. And uh, you would have the opportunity to, you know, listen to a presentation, but also, also sit down and have dinner with these people. Um, and so through opportunities like that, I mean, no matter what you're doing, who you're in front of, actually recognizing that that is another person and that, I mean, they have their wants, needs, and desires just like you do is a big, big thing. But there is also an opportunity for growth in every scenario. I'm a firm believer of that. Um, so, so when you kind of approach it, it's just like, you know, what do I need to see in this other person right now to know them as an individual? Um, and also what can I introspect from that? Um, so some concrete examples of like how that mindset kind of played out. Um, when I think about this mentoring organization that I'm in, which has been one of the biggest life changes for me on a professional level, uh, because I wanted a mentor, basically I was 24 when I went into it and, uh, I, I went in there saying, I need to be groomed to be a business professional. I can't be just a college graduate kid. I, I need someone to groom me into this. And the mentor I ended up getting um, has absolutely changed my life. Um, he was a complete godsend. And uh, when I think about how I got a part in that organization, because I'm the youngest, youngest member they've ever had, um, and, uh, and they typically don't accept anyone under the age of 30, was their rule um, that got broken. Um, for me to come in. And it all started basically with an email that got sent out to 4,000 people on this contact list of our landlord in Kansas City. He sent out this mass email to all of his tenants. Um, basically, there was this guy who runs the tax incentive business to where I mean, his business model is to go and look at ways that he can get some tax money back for you. And he typically deals with very big businesses. And this was my first year in business. And I generally, I read this email and I said, 
this is an interesting like business model. I've never heard of anything like this. I want to talk to this guy and, and find out what his story is. Um, I was one of two people that replied to that email. This guy later told me, um, and I asked him to meet up and then to tell me about what he does and how he got there. Um, so I end up sitting down with this guy and he takes me through basically, he was from New York. He'd done business with Donald Trump. He's, he, uh, he hung up on Steve Jobs. He was close with one of Steve Jobs' ex-girlfriends. And Steve used to call this girl and try and get back uh, in relationship with her. And, um, and this guy was telling me like, yeah, she got so tired of it that she would have me answer the phone and tell Steve to, you know, go home, like leave her alone. And then I hung up on Steve Jobs. Um, so just hearing <laughs> wow. about those stories. Yeah, I was like, this is unbelievable. Um, and uh, so he had gone to like the Wharton School of Business and then he got in the Air Force. I mean, this guy had just done anything and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh. I look at my life, meeting that one person, replying to that one email. Um, he, he was the person that got me into the mentoring program. So he's very close with Barnett Hellsberg. Um, but not only that, he ended up getting me to join the same gym as him to where then he and I got a relationship more. We go out and get breakfast. Um, and then we eventually uh, basically entered into a business relationship. And he did end up saving me uh, thousands of dollars back from state taxes, uh, which is amazing. But just to thank that one email and how it led to that mentor program um, was nuts. Uh, Alec, and I would, I would add too, sorry to cut you off, but I think that's funny because that's kind of how I feel like, I guess in some ways towards you, because you came and gave that talk at BC and you left your, your contact info after that talk. And I was like, actually, what was it? A couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, I was like, I need to, I need to reach out to this guy. Like I, I really enjoyed your talk at BC. And it's, I think it's, it's interesting to me to see the parallels in your situation and how I've come, how you're passing on, I'm assuming some of those things you learned from that guy to people like me and other people in this organization. And yeah. I guess on that same note, it's, you were hitting that, talking about that time right after college and before you were uh, someone in a career. So I'm curious, I know earlier you were talking before we got on the air about how crucial that time is where you have to let go of some things, embrace other things and be realistic with yourself. So um, could you comment a little bit on that as well as you're kind yeah. of tracing your path? Yeah. And that, and I think one thing that we, we talked about in there and it's the battle that everybody faces, like every phase of their life is shedding the happiness of the past and accepting the happiness that's in front of you for what your, your life is about to change. Um, the, the example I talked about was uh, I struggled a lot leaving college and um, going into that uh, post-undergrad life. I call it the, the, the post-undergrad rift. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel like everybody goes through it and it's a big deal, right? When you graduate, some people, it's a six month period. Some of them, it's a three, four year period. Um, but, uh, um, you know, to basically just give a quick uh, analogy or metaphor of what I was telling you guys, you know, I compare it to if you're swimming in a swimming pool, um, that's a lot like being in college. In the pool, you've got laps, you got a lifeguard, you got a timer. In the same way that you have the faculty, you have tests to take, you have grades to measure your performance, and ultimately a degree that you're striving for. Um, then when you graduate, you get taken out of that swimming pool and you get thrown in the ocean. And when you're in the ocean, it's just this wide open body of water and you you know, you got a few different choices to make. You can just sink right there and drown. You can find your way to the shore and sit on the shore, or you can basically structure your life in a way that you're taking advantage of everything the ocean have to, has to offer. And that's, you know, things like, you know, surfing or parasailing, um, 
all the different thing, fun things that you can do on the ocean. Um, so, you know, in life, that's where I compare the two. If you go out and you just immediately dive into Netflix and that's all you're doing, I compare that a lot to just drowning in the ocean where you're just, you're essentially wasting away what's going to be the best moments of your life with the, the youth that you have. Um, you know, a lot of people that I, I see that swim to the shore and get on the shore are the people who later in life, well, what they do is they take the very safe approach and then later in life they're on their deathbed and they see these dreams that they never accomplished, they never went for, they never took action. And there's a lot of regret um, in the same way that if you immediately swim on the shore and then, you know, time comes when you're never going to be able to surf or parasail or do any of that. Um, it's a, it's a, a weird, weird thing. Um, and then the last one of, of taking, you know, the, the route of I'm in the ocean, I'm going to do everything I can to have fun here. Um, some things that, that took me because, uh, you know, I was, I was drowning really to where I was unhappy. I was not seen, um, you know, you, you, through college, you're told like greatness is here. Like you are great. Like you're going to achieve what you want to achieve. Yada, yada, yada. Um, and then you graduate and that stuff's just, it takes you a minute to realize that it's right in front of you, but you really don't know because it's kind of like day one. Okay. Did I achieve it? I was just big man on campus. Now I'm just entry level, you know, lowest man on the totem pole at this job. And it doesn't really matter if I'm here or not. And then I go home and I watch Netflix and I really don't feel like greatness is here right now. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a mind shift. Um, but, and you know, realizing that and getting out of that, one of the biggest things for me was the power of routine. And so um, I think we've all heard the, the saying, like, routine will set you free type thing. And uh, so I took on basically this rigid routine throughout my day that um, what it did was it didn't allow me to um, let laziness come in. There's a, I think it's SPO, a religious group that they say it's like the most powerful minute of the day or like the minute of the hero is the minute your alarm goes off and you either win that minute or you lose it. And uh, if you can kind of structure your whole day um, in that way, um, you're going to win more times than you're going to lose. And, uh, and so, you know, once you start getting a routine in place, you talk about like forming habits and I, all of a sudden you can start just what I call like habit stacking to where, oh, okay, um, well, I brush my teeth every morning while I brush my teeth. How about I add on the habit of, um, right before I brush my teeth, I have to do 15 pushups. Um, and so you take something that you're already doing, you already have a routine in place and you stack something good on top of that. Um, and, uh, uh, so you can start going through multiple ways to kind of, um, hack your life like that. But probably the most important to me was to, um, hack my mornings and to get my mornings lined out. And the biggest change for me in that was uh, after I read a book called um, Miracle Mornings by Hal Elrod. And uh, what it does is he basically went and studied all the most successful people in the world. And he analyzed that every one of them does at least one of six things. And so he basically combined all six into one morning routine. Um, and so if you read this book, he uses the acronym SAVERS to kind of go through the different things that you need to do in your morning. Um, so the SAVER stands for, um, the first S is for silence, which could also be like prayer, meditation. The A is for affirmations. Um, I say affirmations or incantations. The V is for visualization. Um, so you need to be revisiting your goals every morning. Um, the E is for exercise. 
And he's very, very important that this exercise doesn't necessarily mean you need to go run five miles. Uh, this is something like you need to do 30 body squats or you need to do 20 push-ups um, because the sooner that you can get the blood flowing to your brain, the, the more alert you're going to be right out of the gate. Um, the R is for reading. So getting some time in for reading and then the other S is for scribing. So, um, you know, spending a little bit of time writing things down. And, uh, so I basically, um, spent a lot of time early in life, uh, kind of just learning about how I respond to routines, different things, um, that work for me, things that don't work for me, how to set, you know, six year goals and drill them back into the present moment. And, um, what that ended up leading to was me kind of tying everything in into my own savers routine. That was about an hour long. Um, and so in doing that, basically, uh, that was one of the, the biggest things for me nowadays that I wish I would have done right out of college that I, I didn't do. I lost my mornings. I was much more, uh, you know, wake up 10 minutes before work. And then, uh, you know, I live two minutes away from work. So, uh, get in there real quick. Um, so not having that power of routine, that would be one, excuse me. Um, one thing that I would say, the sooner that you can understand how you respond and the best way for you to set routine in your life, the better. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything on that before I just throw you on another tangent that I just got hit with? <laughs> well, I, I was going to say <clears throat> something that I love through these like interviews and conversations and there's tons of nuggets in what you said. There's tons of good information there. <clears throat> but I love it when the, they, they, they kind of come full circle. And the symbols from earlier come up. And the lessons from earlier come up. And there are two in particular that I'm thinking about. You know, it's that forward arrow that Will had talked about earlier. How you continue to move forward. But on top of that, you had the lesson from your dad while playing t-ball. And that you were moving forward at the best way possible. And that helped give you this savers kind of morning routine that you weren't just doing it kind of half-ass you were doing it to the best of your ability and adding good on top of good on top of good to be at the best point that you could be at i i really love kind of those situations when they happen because it really shows that those symbols that you talked about are who you are and they and they really are part of you no, I uh, thank you for saying that. That it, it reminds me of something that um, I kind of use. My friends are always asking me, like after a first date, how do you know if it's the one? How do you know if it's the one? And I said, look, it's it's one quick test for me. If it's not a hell yes, it's not a yes. So it's a no. <laughs> and uh, and that comes with you know if something in life, if you're looking, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? If it's not a hell yes, it's not a yes. But if it is a hell yes, don't dabble. You know go nuts and go all in on it. And, uh, and that's something I've noticed that, that, that I don't want to say that it's a little unique, but it's definitely not a, a view that everybody has on things, um, which I, I, there are things around that, like um, what I call fear setting that I learned from uh, Tim, Tim Ferriss. Um, gosh, I guess uh, I can kind of, I guess I'll go into this. <laughs> so, you know, imagine that something's not a hell yes, that you don't know if you want to do it. I think the first thing you need to do is learn how to fear set. And I think this is one of the most important skills that people can get. It helped me um, with multiple business ventures. And then I, I use it in my personal life all the time now. Um, but once you learn how to fear set, basically, that's ultimately coming down uh, and, and looking at something that you're, you're scared of. And you say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? And you basically map that worst case scenario out. 
and you you live out your life and try and take it out over the next year and how's everything going to be impacted if the worst thing happens and get it on paper actually do it um now once you do that and you've got a plan for the worst case scenario now you can actually sit back and say is this worth doing or is like taking the chance or is it not worth taking the chance um so uh a lot of times people won't take action because of that fear of the first step and that's where i say look instead of planning like the goals and don't get me wrong i love planning out goals but also plan out what if everything goes um you know down the shitter to say pardon my language but uh i had a buddy who did this for for his life um he basically analyzed what would happen if he lost his job and he mapped it out for like a year plus um well we'd move in with this family member and he did a budget for it and everything and realized that they could they could live for over a year um if uh if he were to lose his job and so once he basically saw that and he was like i'm gonna be okay he then took the initiative to start his own business uh because he knew and just in case that he would be okay and he'd be able to make it. Um, so being able to fear set is a, a very good skill to have. Well, and I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to do the same thing I did with kind of last situation where bring it back to a point that came up earlier, which is know yourself, you know, know the fact that you can make a budget and that you could survive. So why not go for this and overcome that fear that you may have had originally. And I, I think that's really important to, to know about yourself. Um, now, Alec, there's, there's two traditional questions that we ask. We're only going to have time to get to one of them. So I'll give you a choice on which one you would like to, uh, to go for. Whew. One of them is what is like a life motto that you have that you either go to bed and think about a lot, you think about it during the day a lot. Uh, what, what is a, a good life motto for you? And then option number two is what, and this, this goes back to the symbols earlier that we were talking about with the wedding band and what is filling up that wedding band and being feeling full? What is that successful Alec height look like to you? Now, once again, you, you got, you got options here, my friend, you got options. Now, if you want a quick second to think, I can talk about one of my mottos that I bring up all the time. Um, it might as well, Keith. You might as well. Yeah, it's like, it's a tradition it. anyway. Sure. Sure. And I, I think it's very applicable for both of you. It's that everything happens for a reason and you being part of this hemp organization and responding to as one of the 4,000 people in an email list, like that happened for a reason because then you got to meet this person and continue to build off of that. Now with Will getting, being able to meet you, you know, Will, Will called me probably a day after and said, I had a great conversation with this guy that came and visited. I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's kind of the same scenario. It, it, and he brought it up. It's that passing down, like kind of passing the torch on. Now I know you're still very young, but you're passing on this wisdom and this information. And now for me, I'm lucky enough to be able to be a part of a conversation with both of you and to get a ton of this wisdom and, and the same for our listeners. And I, I'm thrilled to be able to be here. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of my favorite things about this question is because it's a, it's a psychological strategy. Um, and, and I think you guys get it, but um, um, everything starts with thoughts. You know, thoughts go to words, words go to actions, actions make up your life. Your life makes up your eternity, whether or not you go to heaven or hell. Everything starts with thoughts. And uh, the story that you tell yourself, how you frame everything, that is, that's what's going to control your thoughts. So you're either telling yourself everything happens for a reason, like I know there's going to be a good coming from this, or you're telling yourself like, I'm the most unlucky person, everything sucks, like I don't understand any of this. And 
you're going to form a different story and that's going to take you down a different life path. Um, I, uh, I'll go, I'll go off of, I'll, I'll answer that question. Um, I, I should, I should answer the other one because honestly, I don't know the answer to that one, but <laughs> so, um, for the sake of not rambling as much, um, you know, guarding thoughts, it, it was a big thing to me. And so one way that I did that, I actually formed, you know, you say the theme of life for me, I would theme my years. Uh, cause one thing that I realized in trying to shed my happiness of one period of life, I would have to create a new theme for the next period of life. Uh, so what I did every January, basically I would take a weekend by myself. I'd go somewhere remote and I would analyze all of my past journal entries and I would type up all of my past journal entries, see what I liked about the last year, see what I didn't like. And then I'd plan the next year out and I would put one theme for that. Um, so right out of college, um, once I got those routines in life, um, like I said, it took me a, about a year before I got into this, but that the very first one was inventory and identify. And that was basically anything that I did for that year. I was taking an inventory of my life and identifying, you know, who I was and who I wanted to be. And so every experience that I did, I was putting it in that frame. Um, the next year of my life was uh, commit. And so basically I was like, look, you, you spend a year basically living all these different experiences, having all these different friends, you um, go in different places. You, you've identified who you want to be, commit to that. And so now spend a year committing to living that way. Um, then just last year, um, uh, so, so that was what it was this last year. Going into this year, basically, my theme was arise. And so um, it was like, look, I committed to who I wanted to be. Um, so now arise. And so in kind of every way, how, how you would frame everything happens for a reason, I kind of look at everything now as how can I rise up into the next level of leadership that I need to be in. Um, and a lot of that is, is based in my professional life, but it's also because I'm now eight, month, eight months married and, uh, and we're just about six months pregnant with our first child. And so arising to being the head of the family and looking at, look, you get home and you're super tired. You just want to maybe like turn the TV on and relax, but look, how can I arise to who I need to be? Um, and to, to be a better person in those scenarios. Uh, and so I was just talking with my mentor and we were talking about this life theme. And, uh, and so now that I'm about halfway through the year on this, um, I'm getting to a point to where I'm considering changing it. Uh, and, and my new word would be adventure. And that's because um, more so than ever before, that is changing for me. Adventure in my past life was randomly, you know, spur of the moment on a Wednesday, committing to a weekend, going hiking that I had no idea about. It was spontaneity. Um, it was experiences, this and that. And uh, when this baby comes, adventure is going to be something a whole lot different. And so what he was telling me is like, a lot of people they are giving me advice. They basically just say like, get ready for sleep yeah yeah and he goes you need to take that it's negative advice really and you need to form that into you're right this is going to be an adventure and you need to think how can you take this big life-changing thing where you're becoming more of a selfless person and reframe it into what adventure is now um at age 27 so um not necessarily answering your question of my overarching theme but uh year by year it changes because i'm a firm believer that you got to change with life um so there you go yeah well, and alec i to add on to that i think that's one of the one of the main lessons that i think you passed on to me in our other conversations that whole concept of 
taking life in, in sections and doing as much as you can in that section of life, you know, experience, like you said, adventure was one of yours um, that you had where you went on hikes or whatever. And then now this new one, but just that idea of taking life in sections, living it to the full and then like shedding it, I guess, if that the, the word that you use and kind of letting it go in a sense and moving into a new section of life, instead of just thinking like, Oh my gosh, I do it. Got to do it all at once. And I got to be all this and I got to do it right now. And it's got to be perfect. And, or on the other hand, being like, I'll put it off to later. I won't do it. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. So I just thank you for like sending on that message. Cause that's something that's sticking with me already. Yeah, no, that, that's beautiful. Even to, to think about that and meditate on that. How can I live present, enjoy the present and then shed the present? Um, that, so that, that's, that's very good. Um, the, the other thing that I kind of, and I know we're, we're ending on our time here, but, um, it's how I ended one of my talks that had been addicted. Um, and it's like with everything, um, and what Will was just speaking about was I, uh, uh, in another conversation, we went through a life wheel and we analyzed all these different areas of your life and, um, kind of rating yourself on how you feel. And then basically saying where you want to go and identifying the gap between where you're at now and where you want to go. Um, and one thing that I've noticed in every category of life, um, there is whenever I'm feeling an emptiness or whenever I'm feeling a gap or I'm not performing the way I need to be performing, there is a direct parallel to my faith life. Um, and so it's kind of like my overarching check on myself. It's what I call the faith parallel um, to where if I find myself sitting back and, and basically distraught because I'm feeling a void somewhere, what I need to actually do is turn and introspect and say, how have I created a void in my relationship with God? And once I find that void and I focus on that one, the other thing in life takes care of itself. Um, real quick examples on that was uh, one of my biggest voids early on in my uh, business career was I didn't feel like I had a mentor. Um, I didn't feel like I had anybody that I could look to for um, business advice. And, uh, my dad, he, uh, he, um, he would grown up a salesperson. And so he didn't have a formal business education. And so all the advice like coming from him is great for, for sales and, and, uh, and really, um, you know, growing revenue. But when it came to all the other aspects of running the business, I didn't feel like I had anybody to turn to. And I use that as an excuse a lot. And I use it as a reason to kind of get down on myself. Um, and one time I was actually on a retreat when I got hit with this thought, um, but I, I realized I'd never sought out a spiritual director in life. Um, I had never been like super, super close with a priest of any, of any, had any sort of a personal relationship. And so like what God said to me in that moment was you need to find a spiritual director and you need to get directed in your faith life and I'll give you a mentor. Um, and so when I had that realization, it was February of 2016, I got a spiritual director later that month. August of that same year was when I got accepted into that mentoring program and I actually got assigned the specific mentor for business. Um, so that's, that's one of about five examples I could go through on that faith parallel, but I would just encourage like anytime you feel a void somewhere in life, check your relationship with God to find out where the void is there. And a lot of times that's going to be your answer. I love putting this in there. And I think that goes along with uh, everything happens for a reason. You know, once you found that spiritual director, then you were given a mentor and then you were able to mentor and it just kind of continued down that path, but it was all kind of cause and effect sort of situation. And this is going back a little bit and you talked about 
you know, how you looked at different things going on in your lives. I think back to a poem that my dad gave me when I was younger. It's by Frank Outlaw and it goes, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And it, it all comes back to your mindset towards whatever you got going on. Cause it's very easy to be like, you said this earlier, it's very easy to be like, wow, I'm so unlucky. Like X, Y, Z always happens to me. Or you can take it as, oh, I'm going to have a new adventure with my, with my child coming. That is going to be exciting. It's not going to be the most enjoyable sort of scenario, but it's going to be exciting for the adventure itself. Um, now, and, and to kind of, make sure you know you did a great job because everything kind of connected back to the symbols once again you know you, that forward arrow you had new things every year um and that's i think that's a sign of a great interview and a great um you know reflection of who you are now before we do a quick wrap up wait i have last last question i am so sorry i just thought of this alec do you have a minute oh yeah i got, right. I got more. so okay i just thought i just hit me when keaton was talking um question being so I could easily hear someone, a listener saying, oh, well, Alex, just Alec. And this is just how he likes to live life. And the, everything he's saying, it, he's a very driven person. You know, like he had a certain background that drove him. And a lot of these things that he's, he's talking about are like for him. Right. And I agree. There's a certain amount of that, which I agree with, you know, because you obviously going to remote places to reassess your life is something very particular to you and people like like you but what would you say like sorry if this is too general but what would you say is of i guess particular to everyone um about um, i guess basically like reassessing your life in that faith life and like how how to go about doing that does that make sense yeah um it, it does i like i said it's um how you started that in thinking like talking about me specifically and oh that's just me um the the prompts that i check myself with every time whenever i'm entering a place that i need to start introspecting the prompt that i hit myself with is is that true and so if if i'm looking at somebody and i'm saying oh that's just them that's their life like i won't i won't be that way or like that's not going to be how i am like number one is that true that i can't get there um, and if it's not true, what story am I telling myself that's keeping me in this box of how I'm thinking? Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if that is really a, a fulfilled answer for that, but, um, it's, it's a question to check a lot of times that, um, my wife and I give each other cause, um, and, and you see this in marriage, but you're also, you also see it when you graduate, you know, your friendships, it's, it's a constant battle of fluctuations um, and emotions up and down and what you're telling yourself and what they're telling themselves. And, um, and, and one of the best things to just ask them is, look, is that true? If it is true, what can we do about it? And if it's not true, why in the heck are you telling yourself that? Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if that really is a, an answer that suffices, but um, uh, I would just really encourage people to look at the story that they're telling themselves and, and see how that's going to impact what your decisions are um, down the line on that. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Keaton, did you, did you have, sorry, I cut you off Keaton, but uh, you wanted to no, say something. It's okay. It was a great question. Um, and it, I know this was a little bit longer of an interview, but you know, there is seemingly 
endless nuggets in there. And Alec, we really appreciate you having you on. Before we do a full wrap up here, I actually want to turn it back to you and ask you if you have any questions that you would like to ask us. Yeah, I, uh, um, I do. Well, first, I want to thank you guys for both having me on. And also just for your conversation, I'll say some of my, my conversations with Will um, reflect, reflecting and meditating on a lot of what he and I talk about um, has already had a profound impact on my life in the last month. Um, and then just with the intro call with you guys and some of the stuff you're asking and, and what you guys are doing um, is, I mean, it's, it's, it's been great for me just in this last week, some of the prompts that, have, that now my wife and I are talking about and thinking about. Um, so one, thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for doing this. Um, the question that I would ask you is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, how do you, this venture that you guys are doing with this podcast, um, what's, what's success look like for you in it? Um, that's something I ask any of my employees as we're getting ready to start a new project. I say, first, we have to agree on what success looks like in this project before we start going, because we're going to have different viewpoints. So for this podcast, guys, what does success look like? Well, go, I, I have an answer unless you're ready to go. Well, you know, I'll, I'll let you take this one and then I'll, I'll tack on. Definitely. So this has actually been a conversation that Will and I have been having behind the scenes a lot. And the more I've been able to think of it just kind of on the outside is that I feel like success in the form of the podcast would be me and us putting out a product that I think is the best that we can do. Like that I would be happy to show President Minnis, to show some of these bigger names, to show, you know, these people that are at the top echelon of business and just to be able to have conversations and good lessons within the interviews that not only I love, but it's like the best potential product for everybody. And I think for a while I was kind of focused on like the numbers kind of what we were receiving, but I think it's more about what the listeners are receiving. And that's, that's only come after hitting 10, 12 episodes. Well, yeah, I, I like that answer, actually. And that is something we've I like how we got away from the numbers, got away from the just, you know, kind of seeing how. Yeah, basically, I like your answer. I, I can't really get <laughs> I, I don't really know. We've talked about it. And you said exactly what I was about to say. So I don't know what I could really tack on. But I will add as well that I think success would also you could also measure it. Um, would be really cool to do something long-term. I think longevity and consistency for us, like no matter what we're doing, if we're committed to each other in this podcast and the people that we're providing the podcast for, I think there's so much to be gained by being consistent with something by, you know, putting our mind to it and, and doing it as, as long as we can. So I guess that's, that's kind of my answer as well to add on. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd, I'd say when we kind of started out, it was a little bit, of a selfish mindset. It was more towards us, but the, the longer we go, the more that we want to be consistent and, and deliver a good product for those, those that are listening to us. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's a great lesson for any entrepreneurs listening. That's, uh, you know, numbers can't replace those dreams that you have. And at the end of the day, when, when the grind is happening, you can't keep going. If you don't remember why you're doing it, you know, numbers aren't going to remind you why you're doing it. It's that feeling in your gut and in your heart. And, uh, 
it's good to hear you guys have already made that realization now. And hell, if, if, if entrepreneurs based everything off of numbers, there'd be so many businesses that never would have started. Um, so keep going, keep letting that gut dance, boys. Appreciate All right. that, Alec. Once again, you are great. Loved having you on. Um, we'll continue to be in touch with you just about when the interview gets released and all sorts of that stuff. And I, I know you're an Apple podcast guy, as we talked about, not quite in the Spotify game yet, but we'll uh, <laughs> get that shot over to you as soon as it's up. Sounds good. Thank you guys. Talk to you later. Thanks, Alec. All right. See ya. Well, this concludes this week's episode of the how of who we are. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. Stay tuned. Every Sunday, we're dropping new episodes. Keaton? Yeah, every Sunday. Uh, we'll keep updating you guys on our social medias. That's Twitter and Instagram. Uh, keep an eye on those for either little motivational tweets or just good information about when the next episode is getting released. Uh, once again, make sure you follow those. That's at how of who we are. And then a final reminder to um, send us some potential interviews, whether that be yourself or somebody you know. Uh, thanks for listening into the whole episode and we hope to see you and have you back next week.